All right, um, we're gonna we're gonna go through a bunch of verses, but you know if you might can kind of follow along with this, but open your Bible to Genesis chapter twelve. Don't go very far into it at all. For me, it's page fifteen, Genesis chapter twelve. Um, this is something I've been studying on for a good while now. I've been reading about. I've been. I just became very interested in Abraham about a month ago, like in a different way. I've always, of course, been interested in his contribution to the Christian faith, but I became interested in him personally. And I, so I've been reading through. Uh, you can really the kind of the whole life of Abraham is actually only about seven chapters, and I've read through them a lot. Um, and as I started reading through them, something I, I, I think that I've come to understand why I really do believe the Lord pointed me there personally for me about a month ago, uh, because something different began to uh, be prevalent in my mind concerning the, the, whole, the whole life of Abraham and, and many of the things that he experienced. And so... I, Kind of. Now, I'm just. I'm going to actually cover. Of course, we're not going verse by verse. I'd never have time to go verse by verse through three chapters. But I'm going to cover the highlights of three chapters, actually four chapters, uh, and like I said, just very highlighted. We're just we're very big picture here. We're not getting into the little details. Um, and the reason I'm covering that it's a ten year period of time in Abraham's life, and it seems like in this ten year period of time he's. He's taking what I would call a course in theology. He's learning about God um, more fully, which is what I think that every Christian is doing as we live out our life of faith, but we should do. And what he's really learning here, I'm going to show why I'm saying this, but he's learning through experience and through God's appearances and intervention. We're going to actually see that God appears to Abraham five times. Uh, and within this 10-year period. How does the, exactly this appearing of God work? It, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, mean that God appeared physically. Uh, God, sometimes it's worded like, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, or God said to Abraham this, that, or the other. And a couple of times it says, and the Lord appeared to Abraham. How exactly did all that look and play out? I don't know, and I'm not even going to focus on that. But what I want to focus on for the sake of, it's supposed to be an encouraging message today. What should we learn from Abraham? Of course, there's many, many, many things to learn from Abraham, learning about the faith of Abraham. I want to show you, too, about the hope of Abraham. Um, but I'm going to get to this in the end, but I'll tell you up front to keep this in mind. We know that Abraham was called out of his homeland. He was called out of a country, and we have been, too. Spiritually speaking, we have been called out of, a, we've been called out of the world to come out of the world, or even if you want to look at it in as the way it's pictured in Revelation, to come out of Babylon, which to me seems like this sort of world system. But we know that we've been not only called out of the world, but we've been called to a heavenly place. And just like with Abraham, it, it tells us in Hebrews, and it tells us here that he didn't see the, the fullness of the promise fulfilled in his lifetime, yet he lived as though it had already been fulfilled in him. He, he, in other words, he lived with this daily reality, which we're going to see, there was, there was a lot of things that, that came up along the way, right? But he lived with this, this daily reality that um, he would ultimately get what was promised to him. Uh, and, he, and he lived his life of faith as though it, that, that's what faith does. It, it, it makes some promise of a future thing 
so real to you that you live as though you already possess it. Even though physically you may not necessarily possess it right now, faith itself, it says, is the substance. It is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And that's what our faith should do. Honestly, as Christian people, we should, we should live our lives with the reality that, one, God is God. God is sovereign. And I'm going to talk about some of that. But up front, let me say, if you know anything about Calvinism, I am not a Calvinist. But I, that does not mean that I don't believe that God is in control, God is on his throne, and God is sovereign. And so we're going to talk about some of this. We're going to take a little bit of a theology course ourselves. But one, he learned that God is sovereign, which we need to learn that, that God is in control, and we may, and that's helpful to know when you look around the world that's falling apart. And it really seems like, I mean, honestly, to an atheist, uh, they would be like, uh, you know, if your God had a plan, uh, it has been thwarted. Uh, he failed, and that's the way that they would view the world. But we know that we don't view the world that way. And then the second reality that we need to live with, where it is very a, a present reality in our mind, is that we, we're headed to a, to a heavenly home. And we never need to lose sight of that. But okay, so we're going to, I'll just read, since you're there, we'll read three verses together, and then I want to back up and give you a little bit of context. Genesis chapter 12, we'll just start at verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, and I don't know which version of the Bible you're reading, but I read the King James Version, and this word had is actually going to be a little bit significant here in a minute. The Lord had said. It's just, this, is, this is actually backing up a little bit, and it's telling us something that had already happened, and we're going to look at that in a minute. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now the reason I pointed out that word had, now this is going to be a little bit different sermon today. I'm just, we're just going to kind of walk through and, and kind of in our minds, and our imaginations, go back and, and experience and kind of relive as best we can in our imaginations things that Abraham went through and what I want to show along the way without having to turn to every individual verse because it would take uh, too much time is that first let me let me point out some things to you and you really are going to have to really you know try and apply your minds to follow along with what I'm saying because we are covering a lot of ground really fast what Abraham had received if we back up it it tells us in chapter 11 that when God called Abraham, Abraham was actually living in a place called Ur. You are. I mean, these, these, these names of these places get really confusing sometimes. But he lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And he, he was there when God called him out. And it tells us that actually again in chapter 15, that God had called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. But if we look at verse 4 here, it says, So Abraham departed... As the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So he's in a different town. And the reason I wanted to point that out is this. When God actually called to Abraham, he was in a place called Ur. And he lived there with his father Terah, and his brother uh, Nahor, and his nephew Lot. And while they lived in Ur, Abraham married Sarai, her name was originally pronounced Sarai, 
And I think it, it tells us here, Lot uh, had married a lady. What, I can't, what was her name? I should have looked up. I should have looked at it. It doesn't really matter, but it tells us what their names was. Now, here's my point so that we can get this picture. When you kind of read between the lines here, you realize, because it says that Terah, which is Abraham's father, Abraham, Sarah, Lot, and Lot's wife, began this journey toward the promised land. They left from Ur of the Chaldees. And at some point along the way, they stopped in this place called Haran, and it says, and they dwelled there. And, I mean, most scholars or historians that have studied this would say that perhaps Abraham has been on this journey for two years already. And it's interesting because Abraham's father was over 200 years old. And so whenever God called to Abraham and told him to go, hey, I'm going to go to this land and I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make of you a great nation, we can just imagine without too much risk that Abraham probably had a conversation with his father. And his father was apparently in his care because Abraham's oldest brother had died already. And so when God did call to Abraham, uh, Abraham is, I would say, perhaps persuaded. Maybe his father was immediately on board with it. I don't know. But they begin a journey, the five of them. And the plus they had their, uh, a certain amount of servants that they had uh, that basically worked their farm, and they were all traveling together. So it was a small entourage, but five people are in the focus here. And they're on their way to the promised land, and you would, if, you, if you think about it, let's just say that you were the son, and you had been called by God to do something, and, you, and your father is in your care, who's well over actually 200 years old, and you're, basically you have convinced your father, you persuaded him to come with you, and your wife, and your nephew, who's also under your care, because your oldest brother has died, you're, you're as a man, I would think, you're, you're taking some responsibility for these people. You're like, listen, this is where we're supposed to go. God, this is where God wants us to go. This is where God's leading me to go, so let's load up and go. And in a way, Sarah and Lot and Terah, was, they kind of had their faith in Abraham. Abraham, we're, we're, we trust what you're saying, and so we're going to load up and go. And Abraham is now on this journey. And they dwelt in Haran until it tells us in chapter 11, when you read the full picture here, which I've been studying on, that Abraham's father died on the journey in Haran. And that's why they dwelled there for a little while. Perhaps Haran just got unfit to be able to journey anymore. And they had to stop along the way. And so let's put our minds in the mind of Abraham for a minute. You think, you know, you would think, hey, God has called me to go do this. Nothing will be a barrier to me. Nothing will happen. Nothing will stand in my way. And everything is going to go right because I'm obeying the Lord. And this is what he's called me to do. And so he sets out with his family. And I'm looking at it this way. In hope. There's faith there. For sure, faith enough to make him leave. But I think he's setting out in hope because God didn't show him all the details up front. He just said, go to a place that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. But he didn't tell him all of the things that would befall him along the way. And so in Abraham's mind, I can only imagine myself, Abraham sets out in hope. Like, man, we're about to take the family and we're going on a grand vacation, so to speak. We're going to make the journey and we're going to 
ride our horses into the land of milk and honey and it's going to be amazing. And then something happens along the way a couple years into it. Oh, well, my dad is actually fallen sick. And I can't just leave him here. That, would be, that wouldn't be right. Um, but he can't make the journey. So we're going to stay here for a little while until he passes and we'll bury him here. And so his, his father dies. So that's the first thing that would begin to cause Abraham to back up a little bit. Say, man, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know that all this was going to happen, Lord. You didn't tell me all that. And so they resume the journey, though, because he is a man of faith, and I think he's still going out in hope. Hope, he's, there's a promise on the horizon. Literally, a promise. Oh, God has made him a promise, and the reason I specified that is we're going to see a really interesting transition that happens when a promise became a covenant. But it began as a promise. And so they resume their journey, and like I told you in the beginning, I don't want to jump around too much, but what is Abraham going to ultimately learn? He's going to actually learn about God's sovereignty and his plan. So they begin the journey again, and I didn't put the verses here. You can, you can read through these when you get home. I promise you I didn't change anything, okay? But they come, they, they, they go into the promised land, and it says that, um, well, actually, let's just read it. And Abram took Sarah his wife, this is verse 5, chapter 12, verse 5. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land of, sorry, and Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the place of Morah, and the Canaanite was in the land. So he actually gets to the place where he thinks he's headed to, where God has told him to go, and he gets there, and something else now that he didn't realize was going to be an issue. The Canaanite people are dwelling in this land. And if you study the Canaanite uh, people, what they did in the Old Testament, they were a wicked, ruthless people. In fact, this doesn't, we don't know for sure, so I can't say for 100% sure, but it is believed that the Canaanites had came in and conquered this land and drove out its inhabitants already. And so they were kind of like squatters. They didn't even belong here, but they was a wicked and evil people. God didn't tell him that in the beginning. If he did, it doesn't tell us that he told Abraham that. So he told Abraham to go, and then his father passes away on the journey, and then he gets to where the Lord told him to go, and there's actually a bunch of wicked and evil people there, and so much that he basically has to hide himself from them. And it would seem to us that the promise is at risk. You have promised me a land. You have promised me even that you would make of me a great nation, and yet here I am, and my enemies are actually dwelling in the land, and there is absolutely no way that me and my family can drive these people out. And something happens. The Lord appears to Abraham, to Abram. I'll call him Abraham because I, I, I forget. His, his name hasn't actually been changed yet, but y'all know who I'm talking about. The Lord appears to Abraham. Immediately after this happens, it's interesting, I really wish, I, I, maybe I should have taken the time to just go verse by verse, but the next verse, you can see it in verse 7. What happens? Abraham gets to the land of Canaan and he realizes, oh man, there's Canaanites here. And the Lord appears to him. Why did the Lord appear to him? We're going to learn that it's to reassure him, but the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. 
And it says, And Abraham built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. But then the, the story goes on. Abram leaves this, because right now it's inhabited by wicked people, and so he goes over to a mountainous area on the east, it says. And he builds an altar over there and calls upon the name of the Lord, and then he ends up heading further south. So now it says he's headed down towards Egypt. And another thing that seems to threaten the promise, a grievous famine happens. His family's starving. That's what it means. They're starving. They're in the promised land, full of wicked people. Dad passed away, and my family's starving. And so he, apparently of his own mind and own accord, decides that he's going to go to Egypt to survive the famine because there's food in Egypt. And as he heads down to Egypt, he actually gets really concerned now the closer that he gets to Egypt because he starts thinking about something. He says, hey, my wife is a very pretty woman, uh, and the people down there will kill me to basically be able to take her to wife. And so he ends up, y'all know the story, he ends up having to tell Sarah, hey, tell, tell, the, tell the Pharaoh that you're my sister, uh, which is a, a partial truth, and we won't get into that. But ultimately, it's still a, a lie in a sense. It's a deceiving thing, but he's doing it for his own survival. And my point is, he's already now faced, so he faced his father dying. Then he gets to the promised land, it's full of wicked people. So he moves on to the east until the Lord directs him, and then there's a famine. So he goes down to Egypt, and when he gets there, he thinks, hey, they're going to actually end up killing me here. Any of these things could thwart the plan of God. Any of these things that happen. So he gets there, and then God intervenes. Like I said, we're hitting highlights. While he's there in Egypt, Sure enough, him and his wife are separated for a little bit, but God intervenes for Sarah's sake and for Abraham's sake. But God begins to plague the Pharaoh in Egypt. Brings actually some terrible plagues on him. This is not the ten plagues. This is a different occurrence. But God uses, that's what I want to point out to you. God does not, let me say it this way. God does not ordain foreordain every action of man. And what I mean is this. God don't make us do it. But God does forallow the actions of man and then uses natural, what we would call natural agency to steer things on the right course, so to speak. Uh, and here's what I'm trying to say. Is it wrong that Abraham went to Egypt? I don't know. Was it God? Did God just, you know, force him to put it in his heart? No, I don't think so. I think Abraham made a decision there. But what happened when he did, God knows the end from the beginning. Abraham is learning that, and you're going to learn that. God does know the end from the beginning. And God, I don't believe, exercises things against a man's free will. However, he will change the man's will by bringing upon him many external pressures. And that is exactly what happened with Pharaoh. Pharaoh begins to be basically feel as though he's under a curse. Abraham, ever since you showed up, I've, I've been under the curse here. I've been under plagues. Why didn't you tell me the truth? She was your wife. And then he basically gives Abraham lots of cattle and silver and says, y'all go and get out of here. Here's enough food. You don't have to stay here. Take this food with you and y'all go. Your God doesn't want you here. 
And so God does intervene in the lives of man in many ways, but we can see there's going to be several occurrences to where God intervenes in just what I would call the natural order of things and, and drives the people in such a way uh, to where he ends up wanting them to go. But Abraham leaves Egypt way richer than what he showed up there. But then he faces a turmoil again. And keep in mind, guys, the whole time Abraham is marching toward the promise, right? And that's what he's doing. He's, he's walking towards what he thinks is this ultimate goal. And things continue to happen to seem to make that impossible. And you know there must be times where he's like, Lord, where are you? And why are you doing things this way? Well, he ends up, because he is blessed with all these riches now, it says... Between him and Lot, their substance was too great. In other words, they had too many animals. They had too much cattle. They had too many servants to dwell in this place that they were pressured to dwell in. They, they had to stay in a small area because if they spilled out of that area, the wicked people were there. And so Abraham does something that's really kind of amazing because he knows this has been promised to me. It's been promised to me. But he gives Lot the decision of where to live. So he takes Lot up upon a mountain and says, look, let there be no strife between us. You choose if you want to go to the left or to the right, and I'll take the other. And of course, we know the story. Lot looks to the left and sees a well-watered plain, a very lush valley, very green and fruitful. And he chose that side, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. That's how it's worded. And so Lot is now left with the desert side, the unlush side, the difficult side, the tough ground side. And again, these are things that in the mind of a man, he would feel like God's just not holding up his promise. We're several years into this now, and I'm, I'll, I'll, here I am trying to be obedient, uh, and I do believe that God can, but he's just not. And so the Lord appears to him again, and this time it's in chapter 13 and verse uh, 14. And God reassures him. It says, And the Lord said unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him, he repeats the promise, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and your seed forever. Now, we're, I mean, I know that you guys haven't had time to study this, but you actually learned God appeared in the life of Abraham at these times where Abraham was in the fiery trials of faith. Here he has, okay, I let Lot decide. Lord, it's in your hands. Well, wait a minute, Lot took the land that I, you know, that I could have went to. You know, I've, here I've come to the land. Oh, wait a minute, there's a famine here. You, you sent me to a famine, and then it's full of wicked people. And so there's one thing after another. And when Abraham is like about to give, you would think, when he's a little bit heartbroken, when he's distressed, the Lord appears and reassures him. And so it does. It happens again. I think that was the third or the fourth time that it's happened so far. That the Lord appeared and reassured him. No, I will do this. And so Abraham worships, but then Lot is taken captive. And, and really, it's his nephew, but it's like his son. Because he had been taking care of Lot since he was a young man, apparently, because Abraham's, Abraham's brother had died. And so it's kind of like his son is taken captive. But Lot's taken captive. And, and in fact, Lot's whole family is taken captive. And 
some servants come to Abraham and they give him word, hey, Lot's been taken captive and now Abraham takes 318 men of his own house, 318 servants, and he goes out to basically make war. This is amazing if you think about it. Against an alliance of five kings. It was an alliance of five rebel kings that had come in and taken over Sodom and had taken over Gomorrah and had taken over a huge area of the land that actually lists many of the cities that they took over. And they took all of the people. They was making them slaves. Lot was cuffed and walking to the slave trade. That's what he was going to be. And Abraham finds out and he was a man of action and he immediately put his plan into action and went to retrieve Lot and set the people free. But you also got to think, the promise is at stake again. What if a stray arrow pierces my heart or a man's sword comes and, you know, slices my head off? The promise is at stake. I'm going out against really an army that's probably 20 times the size of my army. And so the promise is at stake again. And Abraham is, in a sense, clinging to threads of hope. And he goes in the middle of the night, very strategically, very intelligently, they slay the kings and they set the people free. And they bring Lot and many others back and return them to their homeland. And as this happens, the, the man of Sodom, who had taken the lead at that time now, I guess the one who was second rank becomes king and he comes out and he offers Abraham riches for what Abraham has done. He offers him the spoils of war, so to speak. He offers him the goods. And Abraham says to him, I keep in mind, Abraham is struggling here. But he says, he says that I have sworn unto the Lord that I will not even take a shoe latchet from you lest you say I have made thee rich. He wasn't, he wasn't going to he wasn't going to, in a sense, bow to what was being offered by worldly riches. And then something amazing happens. Well, he goes back to where he had been camping, east of Bethel. And if we're going to put ourselves in his shoes, really, let's think about it. We've went out in the middle of the night, very sneakily, and slew some kings but they still have a remnant of an army left. And here I have set the slaves free. The spoils of war has been taken from them. They could come back after me in the middle of the night. They could. In fact, they probably wanted to. Turn to um, chapter 15. So Abraham returns after he had rejected the riches of war. And apparently, we can read between the lines, he was worried. He was losing sleep at night because they're going to come back for him and his family and God appears to him again. In um, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, after these things, this is after Abraham rejected the riches and conquered his enemies or whatever. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not. See, why did God appear and say, Fear not, if Abraham didn't have some fear? In fact, this is the first place in the Bible that the term fear not comes up. 
This is the very first place. Abraham was now in the land of the famine, wicked people, and he's in fear that there's going to be an army come and try and destroy him. But listen to what God says, and this is the same thing that God is, that this will apply to us, and I want to show you that in the New Covenant. Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield. So don't worry that people are going to come and attack you in the middle of the night. Don't, don't worry about retaliation. Don't worry about that, for I am thy shield. And don't worry about the fact that you turned down all of these great riches, for I am thy reward. I am thy exceeding great reward. And so this is the fourth time now that God has came and consoled Abraham and reassured Abraham, so to speak. But he also tells him, don't fear, for I am your shield. I am your reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my own house is my heir. So you also got to think for just a second. That kind of, like if, if the Lord had promised you a promised land. And that he would make your seed great. But it's going to come through this man that you have taken in and taken into your own care and now he's considered technically of your household it's going to come through that way that's kind of it's less sweet to me it makes the promise less sweet if it's okay well i mean you did bless me but it's it's, it's not it's not at all like i thought it was going to be and you, you can see you can read that's what abraham's doing i don't have a child what I, okay, so I guess it's, it's through this Eleazar. He was born in my own house. I guess this, this promise is going to come through him. And so he's struggling with, essentially it seems to me like there's a dilemma. The promise is a little bit less sweet than what he originally thought. And he's down about it. And then God says to him, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad. Picture this. God walks Abraham out in the middle of the night sky and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. This is the fifth time and this matters. This is the fifth time. First of all, my friends, if you are struggling with having full faith in the promise of God, don't be down on yourself. If it takes five times for God to, to speak to your heart or to reveal his truth to you, don't be down on yourself. The same was the case with Abraham. So this is the fifth time, and, and this is the first verse we find this. It's a famous verse, but look at what verse 6 says. Chapter 15, verse 6. And he believed the Lord. You know this is the first time that's said? This is the first time. And God counted it to him for righteousness. So after the fifth appearance, the fifth reassurance, that God had given to Abraham, he believes. Now we can speculate. Like I said, did Abraham leave in faith initially? Surely there was some faith there. But I think it was more hope than it was faith. Faith and hope are almost inseparable from each other to some extent. But this is the first time that we actually read he believed. I want to apply that to you a little bit and then we'll go on. God has also given us promises. But I think many of us, more often than not, live on the hope side of the promise and not the faith side. We live more like Abraham, hoping, hoping. I'm hoping, 
I'm hoping that this is going to go well. I'm hoping that I will receive this promise. I'm hoping that an arrow don't accidentally pierce my side here as I'm going out into the war. I'm hoping. We're living on the side of hope. Nothing wrong with hope. Hope is a good thing. We're told to hope in God. But this is going to be critical. This is the first time that Abraham believed. And what does follow? Since you're still there, God's response to Abraham's faith is that now God makes a covenant. Let's, let's look, look at verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, this is Abraham speaking, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He's asking for what is the, what's the sign here? This is not a question of doubt. He just told us that it, God himself says Abraham believed. And so this is not a question of doubt. He's saying, but what's, 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 this, what's the sign? What's the assurance? What's the, cov what's the token of the covenant, so to speak? And he says, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Verse 9. And the Lord said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Let me cut, let me cut to the chase here, because there's ten verses that I'm going to lose you on. God makes a covenant with Abraham. He tells him to take all of these animals, and he tells him to actually cut them in half and separate them and lay them side by side, like he makes an aisle way of blood. So Abraham does it. He obeys the Lord. And time goes on. The day rocks on in tonight. To now that scavengers are coming down and picking at the birds. And it says and Abraham keeps shooing the birds away. And he's staying awake. And then suddenly something happens. And it says a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And a great fear, a horror, it says, came over him. And this is what God says. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And a great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward they shall come out with great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the pieces, the pieces of the animals that had been cut. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. Now, I know I've already been talking for a while and you feel like, what's the point of all of this? And I need to wrap it up. And I agree. I started off by telling you guys that Abraham is taking a crash course in the sovereignty of God. And even though I'm not a Calvinist, and there's many things about Calvinism that I don't like, I do believe in the sovereignty of God. And I think that we should all believe in the sovereignty of the omniscience, which means he knows everything, and the omnipotence of God. What actually happened here, in brief, is that God made a covenant with Abraham, and the ancient tradition, they say, is that it used to be that two people, when they would make this covenant, they would both pass through the Isle of Blood together, as if to say, if I break this covenant with you, what has happened to these animals will happen to me. But in this case, God alone passed through and made the covenant. 
In other words, how is, this, how is this covenant the answer to Abraham's question? Lord, how shall I know that I shall inherit it? God makes a covenant. And God himself takes it upon himself. Abraham, you don't have any responsibility to fulfill this. I'm going to do it. And here's the proof. And this is what really blew my mind a month ago when I started really thinking about this. How, how, how much do I know that I know that I'm going to do it? Let me tell you something, Abraham. Let me tell you the future for the next 500 years, because that's what he did. Jacob had not been born yet. Isaac had not been born yet. Joseph had not been born yet. There was no such thing as Israel. There was no such thing as Israel being taken captive into Egypt and being in slavery. Joseph had never been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. Joseph had not yet been in prison in Egypt and ended up coming out, rising to the ranks of the second in command in the land. The famine had not yet come in Egypt. None of, none of that. None of it had happened. None of it. And so God says, this is how sure it is. It's basically recorded history. Your seed is, and this is how long. Your seed is going to become slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And after that, I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to bring them back to this land. I'm going to drive the Amorites out. Your children will dwell here. You're going to end up dying a good old age. You're going to be buried with your fathers. Sarah will have a child. His name will be Isaac. I mean, he ends up telling him, this is what's going to happen to not just you. This is what's going to happen to your grandson. This is actually what's going to happen to your fourth generation from now, great-grandson. He shows Abraham. This is the first time that this happens in Scripture. I mean, up till now, honestly, you start at Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, and you're seeing the creation, the flood, the Tower of Babel. We, there's, not, there's no real, like, there's prophetic stuff there. But this is when God shows, I mean, yes, God shows to Abraham, Abraham, this is how in control I am. This is how, this is what I know. This is, I, I know your future. And guys, I promise you right now, God knows your future. Every detail of it. There's no way that he doesn't. I'm not saying that he, he is the one that forced it to happen. But does he know every single thing that's going to happen to you? Yes, he does. And there, there can be no doubt. There can be no doubt about that. Just like God knew that Abraham's grandchildren would sell one of his grandsons into slavery and mean it for evil, God says, you meant it for evil, but I meant it for good. God knew that was going to happen. And God knew that if I put two men in this cell with Joseph, one of them, I'll give them a vision. When they have a vision, they'll ask Joseph, and I'll let him interpret it. And I will end up getting Joseph out of prison. In fact, what did, I, what did, what did God mean? I meant it for good. I actually created a divine situation to, to land Joseph there so that when there is a famine in your land, I will save the nation of Israel by carrying them into Egypt. That's exactly what happened. The nation of Israel went into Egypt to survive because Joseph had been given a dream by God to put back food for seven years because there was a seven-year famine coming. And God reveals all of this to Abraham on the night that he made a covenant with him. Now, God is God. That's a big sentence. God is not something that we imagine him up to be. He's not a little thing in our imagination. He's not under our manipulation whatsoever. He's God. 
He's God of all the universe. And this is where it gets interesting to me. We have been given a promise, and we have also been given a covenant. We have been given the exact same thing that Abraham was given. If, you, if you're not a believer, guess what? You don't have a covenant. But as soon as you put your faith in Christ, you do. You become a part of the covenant. See, initially, the promise is. The promise that whosoever will, whosoever will come. Right? The promise is that whosoever believes in Jesus Christ, the Son. That's the promise, that you'll be saved, that you'll have eternal life. That's the promise. But you are not yet in the covenant until you believe that promise. Once you believe that promise, like Abraham did, you are actually a part of the covenant now. And by two, as, as Hebrews says, by two immutable things in which God cannot lie, he made a promise and a covenant. We have a promise and a covenant. But now what does that mean? My world's falling down around me sometimes. It really is. I think yours is too sometimes. At times you're like, I, I don't know what in the world the Lord has brought me to this point in my life for, but I'm telling you right now, it is terrible. It's not going in all the way that I want it to. It's not going in all the way that I expected it to. But let me tell you something. Like I told you in the beginning. I want you to grab hold of these words. I went, this is the longest I've ever ranted to make one small point. Okay? Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now remember, listen, listen. I want you to think of it this way. Abraham did not have this. He didn't have it. Moses wrote the first five books of this. Moses was not alive yet. When this comes to you and to your heart, this is the word of the Lord came unto James saying. The word of the Lord came unto Andy saying, and here it is. This is the word of the Lord and it has been given to us. We can say that. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself. But where I am, you may be also. That's too good to be true. Yeah, hallelujah. You see, that's what Abraham received. Something like that. The Lord of the Lord came unto Abraham saying, get out of the country. I'm going to lead you to a promised land. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make nations of you and your seed is going to be the stars of heaven. Wow. Well, Jesus said, I've got to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. And I will come again and receive you unto myself. Look. The world that we live in right now, this stuff, I mean, I'm a philosophical, thinking, analyzing, critical thinking kind of a person. And I'll tell you, sometimes I struggle with, like, Lord, I feel like I'm in the land with the Canaanites here. I mean, we're surrounded by wicked people. And where is the promise of his coming? That's what they, it says that they would say in the last days. Scoffers. That's not me, but I'm saying internally sometimes I'm like, maybe, okay, so not the ultimate return, but where is the intervention in my life? And if we, if we follow this, this ends up being a 25-year deal for Abraham before he really, well, before he receives the son. Before he gets the son. 
So what I want you to grab a hold of is that, number one, does God know that our nation is almost entirely given over to wickedness? He absolutely does. And can God take something that they meant for evil and turn it for good? He absolutely can. And at, at the end of the day, no matter what our plans are, and no matter what Satan's plans are for sure, no matter what the plans of all the movements of the world are, listen, our promise cannot be broken. It cannot be broken. It can't. We're in a covenant with Christ just as powerfully as Abraham was in a covenant with God when God himself cut it. And that's the last thing I want to point out to you. Jesus Christ did the very same thing for us. What did we do to make this covenant? Nothing. I mean, has any of you ever hung on a cross even for one second? No, you have not. So how sure is it that if I put my faith in Christ, he will save me? It's as sure as the fact that he bled that day 2,000 years ago and raised from the dead. That's that, it's that sure. Your salvation is in his hands. It's a covenant that he made and he took full responsibility for it. And thank God for that. Because I could thwart the plan if it was left up to me. But I can't thwart God's plan. None of us can. And so how sure is, how sure is it that I will inherit heaven? It's, just, it's already happened. It's already happened. Has Christ not already died and rose again? Has he not already gone to prepare a place? Has he not already made a covenant? Has he not already made a promise? He has. Our faith is the most sound thing that exists in our universe right now outside of God, the things that we believe. And so, man, that was a big, long thing. To sow the seeds in your mind that God is in control, that God has made us a promise just as, as strongly as he made it to Abraham, that God has made us a covenant, and no matter what it may feel like at times, we'll stand in the way. Nothing will stand in the way of you receiving the promises of God. There's nothing. It's impossible.